0: There we go. Good morning. That was, I was not expecting the intro video, but if you didn't catch that next week, make sure you pay attention. Intro video. Um, And so again, welcome. Fourth of July weekend. It's uh, obviously a crazy weekend. A lot of travel, a lot of things just going on. So first off, want to just encourage you guys to enjoy our independence. Enjoy the time that we have and the freedoms that we have here in America enjoy your cookouts, going to the lake, whatever it is. If you're like me, you're not going to do anything. You're just going to go have dinner. Then you're going to go work on the 4th of July, try to make some money, things like that. But again, first off, thank you again for coming today. Hopefully you guys are ready to hear about uh, what the Lord can do in our lives. Brad's been bringing a great sermon series this summer on barrier breakers. Just everything that we struggle with in life, doubt, anxiety, anger, whatever that is that Maybe you're struggling with, Pastor Brad is going to talk about that this summer. And so hopefully it's been an encouraging word for you guys this summer. Hopefully you've been able to grow in ways that you weren't expecting to grow. Um, And maybe it's challenged you in ways that you weren't expected to be challenged in. Um, And so I know a lot of times we sit in life and we, we know what we struggle with on a daily basis and we try to work on those things, but then we hear a message from the Lord and we're like, Man, I, I feel really convicted about that, and when, man, I really, maybe I am struggling with this as well. Maybe this is a challenge for me as well, and maybe that's a good thing for you to come to kind of understand and realize that, hey, there are other things in my life that I need to put priority on to try to fix, to try to correct, to try to make better, and so hopefully that's what you're learning throughout this summer, uh, but with that being said, we just have a couple quick announcements. Mainly, it's youth-driven. Um, so, obviously, we go to camp next, not tomorrow Monday, but two Mondays from now, July 10th. We leave for camp. We're taking 35 teens. We got five leaders, and then Pastor Brad and uh, his wife, Stacy, they're going to travel down and just kind of be there. So, we got 42 of us total going to camp or being down there for camp. So, it's going to be a crazy fun week, but with that being said, we did uh, This weekend, we're just kind of letting it be, so no youth tonight with 4th of July. Go enjoy the fireworks show at uh, Liberty, if that's what you're going to do. Maybe it's the lake. I don't know what it is. Go enjoy tonight with your family. Next Sunday, immediately following this service, we'll be down in the bus loop. We'll have a cookout. We'll do our lesson time, and then I want the kids and the parents to be able to go enjoy their last day before the kids head off to camp. Maybe it's the last little bit of packing. Whatever it let you guys go. Enjoy the Sunday night next week. But with that being said as well, next Sunday, if your teen is going to camp, we would love for them to be here so we can have everyone up here going to camps just so that the church could pray over them in person. But I also encourage you guys to go ahead and start praying. If, if you're thinking about it, if you're in your prayer time, you're thinking about it, go ahead and pray for the teens. That camp will build them up, will edify them, will uplift them, will teach them. We'll just show them how great God is. It's, it's so, a lot of times, right, as a youth pastor, it can be so frustrating at times because you're like, I don't know if the kids hear me sometimes. But then all it does is take a week at camp where they're kind of away from people, away from family, whatever it is that's maybe distracting them. And a person that they have no idea who they are, that they don't know from Adam, is just talking about the Lord, and it just brings a light to them. And so just pray that maybe that's what it is, that there will be a salvation story at some point in two weeks at camp and that they can continuously grow when they come back and they come back into the body of Christ. So just start praying. Um, If you think about it, just help us just to have a great week, one, have a fun week, two, but thirdly, that these kids come to know Jesus better. Maybe for the first time ever, but maybe it's just to come to know the kids better and better, or to know Jesus better and better. So with that, I'm going to just read a quick little passage, and I'm going to pray for us. So Pastor Brad is going to talk about a little bit of doubt and faith today. He's going to be reading out of Hebrews. But when I saw what the sermon title was, I just started thinking this morning, I think the believer's triumph in Romans just brings us security if it comes to anything with doubt. So I just want to read it, and I'm going to close this in prayer. And Tony and the band's gonna lead us in worship. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. He will, uh, how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear Lord, just uh, thank you for the day. Thank you. I know it's a little hot in here, Lord, but we brought the fans in here to try to help us just to be able to get through and just be able to focus and, and just love you, Lord. Just thank you again, for a church that just loves you so dearly and wants the gospel to be presented each and every week, Lord, that people who may not know you will come to know you, and that those who know you will grow closer to you each and every day, Lord. Just thank you for a worship team that just sings with all their heart, Lord. I just pray as we just read in the Believer's Triumph that whenever anything comes in our mind that thinks we're no good, that thinks we, we don't measure up, that we don't, mean anything, that we can never come to know you, that we are separated from you, Lord, that it doesn't matter how great or powerful we think it is, Lord, it has nothing to do, it has nothing to stand against how great and powerful you are, Lord. Just thank you for your provision on our lives, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Just allow us to remove distractions from our lives today, Lord. Allow us to be present. In the service and allow us just to come to know you better today lord in your name we pray amen
1: amen we have so much to be thankful for don't we amen and we are here to bless the name of the lord today let's all stand together as we sing would you please Today. Amen. Amen. You know, he is truly worthy of it all. There's no one else who can take away our sin. There's no one else who, who deserves all the glory, who has the power. He has our hope. He has everything that we need prayer today is if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that today would be the day that you come to know him as your savior. He has authority over all. Jesus, we praise your name. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Father. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the power in your name. We thank you for just what your name represents. Your name represents deliverance. Your name represents freedom. It represents healing. God, it represents power, authority. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.
2: Lord you're trustworthy. Lord
1: we love you, we thank you for loving us Father. And we pray that as your word is spoken today Father that we will listen to it that we will apply it to our lives father and. We thank you for your truth. It is the word that sets us free, Father. Help us to listen to the voice of truth and not to the voice of the enemy. God the enemy has come to steal, kill and destroy and to distract, God, the enemy is trying to distract us from what's most important. And, Father, we pray that we'll keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and finisher of our faith. God, that you will help us to see what's truly important and not be distracted by the uh, tactics of the enemy. Lord, we love you. Help us to be changed to be more like you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
3: debate in the walls of the Continental Congress finally comes to an end. They have voted, they have declared independence from Great Britain, and that night by candlelight John Adams writes an emotional letter to his beloved Abigail. Speaking of Independence Day, he writes, This day Today will be the will be most, the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I'm apt to believe it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration, Yet. Through all the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means. But I must submit all my hopes and fears to an overruling providence in which, unfashionable as the faith may be, I firmly believe. May we never forget that we are a people who have been delivered. From tyranny to liberty, from oppression to freedom, from fear to courage, and today, above all days, may we renew our personal devotion to the giver of all liberty.
4: Amen. As we worship Jesus, the giver of the true freedom that we have today. Welcome to Impact Church. How's everybody doing today? All right. I see a few people didn't go on vacation. All They're right. hanging out, and we're in the middle of that season. A lot of people are traveling today, so pray for their safety And good time as they rest, but welcome to Impact Church this morning. If you are visiting with us today, maybe this is your first time, maybe you've been watching online and you finally decided to come in, or maybe it's your fifth time, 20th time, whatever it is, and you're still searching for a church home, a place to get plugged in, we hope the Lord would lead you right here. God's doing an amazing work. We would love for you and your family to be a part of it and experience all that God has for you as being a part of the body of believers and the work that he's called us to do. So welcome this morning. We're glad you're with us. Especially here on the uh, 4th of July as we celebrate the the Independence Day, the the freedom of our nation. Uh, Let us not forget the independence, the freedom that that we are given in Christ. uh, Free not to sin and walk in sin any longer, but free from the penalty of sin, free from the bondage of sin to walk in newness of life. That's the freedom we have in Jesus today that we celebrate. So we want to thank, of course, for our nation, all those who uh, serve Uh, actively today, all those who have served in the past, given their life so that we could be free, so that we could stand up and preach the Bible and preach Jesus today. Let us not ever take that for granted. So for all the armed uh, forces, even all of our first responders, our law enforcement officers, uh, firefighters, everybody who goes to uh, keep us in our nation like it is today, we thank you. So diving right in, we're continuing our uh, sermon series that we started a few weeks back entitled Barrier Breakers. Overcoming life's toughest obstacles. And we've uh, started and we've uh, opened that up and talking about how change is possible and what obstacles to change are. And now we've gone through uh, overcoming fear. We've gone to overcoming pride last week. And if you've missed any of those, you can catch up with them. But today, we're going to address yet another monstrous obstacle that we all face. Every single one of us in here have faced this obstacle, and we need the power to defeat it as we continue on in our walk in life, and especially our walk and our faith in Jesus. And that's overcoming the obstacle of doubt, of doubt. Doubt is a monster. And I'm going to be honest, it creeps in every single one of our hearts, every single one of our lives, especially as we answered the, the call to what, what God has called us to do and who he's called us to be. That If you've ever been like me, when you know what the, Lord, the direction the Lord has you on, you don't feel like you have enough. You don't feel like you have what it takes, and that's exactly where God wants us, because then he shows up. When we're weak, then he's strong. So we want to have a a message today on doubt, and more than just on doubt, but how to overcome doubt. And so the title of today's message is, is, which way do we go? Which way do we go when we come to a crossroads in our life? If you heard the uh, video there talking about the message that John Adams had wrote to his wife after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I don't know if you caught it in there, but he directly stated about devotion to God. I want you to think about this. He's one of the forefathers of our nation, of our country, and he was outwardly professing his faith about devotion to God and how this nation had started, and he even said this in there. He said, I'm well aware of the toil, the blood, and the treasure that it will cost to keep and defend these states. But he says, I see that the end is worth more than the means. And I want you to think about that because we're going to see that in our passage of Scripture today as we walk in faith that we need to see beyond the circumstances that we may face, the, the, uh, the persecution we may face, the cost that we may have to give up to follow Christ, but we need to look toward the other side. And then he said this, and I love this at the end, as he closed this letter to his wife. He says, I submit all my hopes and fears over to an overruling providence. And that's with a capital P, providence. Who's he talking about? The Lord. He says, I submit all my hopes and my fears over to an overwhelming providence. That's the Lord, in which unfashionable as the faith may be, I firmly believe. If unfashionable was the faith back then with John Adams, how much more unfashionable is your faith today? But will you and I firmly believe? Man, what a beautiful picture. I, I, if we had leaders in our nation today like that, the world wouldn't look like it does today, I can tell you that. But beyond our nation, we know that coming here today as we walk through life that we will enter many times a crossroads a crossroads where we can pick a direction where we can choose a path a route of doubt and there's consequences behind that or we can choose a route of faith and I'll be honest there's a there's a cost with that as well but the cost is far greater, just like John Adams said, because I see beyond the circumstances of what we may face, because I see on the other side, and it's more worth the means to get to where we're going. How about you? Which way will you go at the crossroads of faith and doubt? Let me pray for us before we dive into God's word. Dear Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we praise you, we worship you, we magnify you. Lord, we make much of you today in your word because you are the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through you. So Lord, we want to dig into your word today because your word is truth. And you tell us, Father, that, that, that your goal, your plan for us is to be sanctified. And we're sanctified by your word and your truth. So, Lord, I pray that you would change us today with your word. Move your spirit in our hearts and lives through your word, Father, that we can say yes to you. And, Lord, that, that we, as we face so many times in our life areas of doubt, of disbelief, where, we, where there's times of uncertainty where we don't know what the future holds, Lord, that we have you at our side and your promises to never leave us or forsake us and we can trust you. And, Lord, that you are our deliverer. You are the one who guides and leads us. And, Lord, the storms in our life, they may never leave. They may never go away, Lord, but your promise is to stick with us through that storm. And in the midst of that, to have a peace that only you can give. Lord, I pray that we can trust you like that. And, Lord, that's easier said than done. We need your power of your spirit and your word to do that in us. So come, Lord, and do that. And we give you all the praise in advance for what you're about to do through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. If you have a copy of the Word of God with you today, I hope you do, either a hard copy or a digital copy, if you will, on phone or tablet. You can turn to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 is where we'll start out today. We'll end up a little bit in in Hebrews chapter 12 there toward the end. But we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 and we're going to read verse 6. And that's where we're going to start out today. So let me read God's Word with us right now. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 and verse 6. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. do you think about that. Skip down to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Some might say impossible. "Without, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. I want you to think about that. And we're going to look at God's Word here today. But first, when we're talking about overcoming doubt, what is the definition of doubt? What is doubt? We know uncertainty is a great word. And when you look up the actual definition, it says just that, that doubt is a feeling of uncertainty. But as a secondary definition, it says that doubt is a lack of conviction that makes you unable to make a decision. Oh, my goodness. It's a lack of conviction that leads to an inability to make a decision. And when we're talking spiritually here, what would that decision be? To trust God. That we have a lack of conviction that he is who he said he is. As a re- he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And it prevents us from making that step, that decision to get out of the boat. And to trust God to do the supernatural. To do what only he can do. And it limits us. Doubt is a limiter. So now we see verse 1 in our passage here that we just read. It's going to tell us exactly, biblically, what faith is. We know what doubt is. Now, what's faith? It's the opposite of doubt. Because faith is the substance, what? Of things hoped for. And when you think about that, you know, we're not talking about in Christ. we We have a guaranteed hope. Did you know that? Our hope in Christ is a guaranteed hope. It's not a hope like the world hopes. Like, I I hope so-and-so may win the World Series this year. I I hope so-and-so may win the Super Bowl. Whatever your hope is, that's just a a circumstantial hope, like a, woo, toss some stuff in the air and see where it lands. That is not the hope we have in Christ. It is an anchored hope because of his finished work on the cross. It's finished. It's done. The victory is guaranteed. So, it is the substance of things hoped for. It is what we have anchored to. It's a guaranteed hope. But then it says... What? It's also an evidence of things not seen. You see, so what we have here is faith is basically the eyesight of our spiritual life. I'm going to say that again. Faith is the eyesight of our spiritual life. If our eyes bring us sight to our physical life, then faith are the eyes of our spiritual life. So if you and I don't have faith and we live in doubt, what are we trying to walk without? Sight, without eyes, without, without knowing. It's saying that faith will give us our sight. I want you to see that. Anyway, and, and it's unfortunate, I think the hardest thing in life to do would, would be to, to, to be blind, but those that I've been around in therapy and different things in the medical field, I've seen people that are blind. And what I've noticed is they have a heightened sense of ability in their other senses. So though they can't see, they have an, an unbelievable keen sense of hearing. Their sense of smell is unbelievable. And it, it just, it's a beautiful picture of though we walk by faith and not sight that we can't see. So our other sense, our spiritual sense, is going to be more keen. We're going to listen for the voice of our Lord. Our sense of hearing through his word and through his spirit and when we hear the shepherd's voice has to be more keen for us to, to know where we're going. Does that make sense? It's what the Bible teaches and preaches, that we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And that's what this passage is pointing to. So faith is the wrecking ball to the wall of doubt you're taking notes you can write that you can write that in your margin because we're talking about barrier breakers and we're talking about tearing down a wall of something that's going to hold us back to keep us from experiencing all God has for us in our life and the first thing we need to do is have this wrecking ball of faith because it will tear a wall down of doubt and faith in Christ and through his words the only thing that'll tear this wall down so faith has its reasons and we're going to see this that the Bible doesn't teach or command a just a blind random leap of faith Well, let me just go this direction. Let me just go this direction. No, 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 no. That's not what this is talking about. Faith has its reason, and its reason is in word and hearing the Father. And then when he calls us to step out, that's when we act. And that's when his faithfulness is there to hold us up. But what we're going to have to understand is these reasons for faith, they cannot be measured, guys. They can't be measured in a laboratory, in a science lab. These steps of faith that God asks us to take will not be measured in our own human understanding. They won't be measured by what's in our bank account. These steps of faith are going to have to be just that. When we know that God's guided, directed us, moving us, we have to take that step or we'll never experience what he has for us. And doubt will hold us back. So, these steps of faith must be understood, here's the key, spiritually. They're not blind. They are spiritually led steps of faith where you still are, have uncertainty or you don't know the answer. You'll still have doubt, but you can rest and trust in the God who's called. Let me It's a good time for me to put James chapter 1 in front of you. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And I'm going to read to you out of the NIV this time. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not, what? Doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. This is what gets me, guys. Listen to this. You've got to understand this. You've got to get this. That person who, the one who doubts, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord... That's in your Bible. That's not my words. And this is stepping on my toes. First, <laughs> the person who doubts should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Oh Lord, forgive us for our doubt. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Anybody in this room ever been there besides me? You've doubted. You've wondered, God, where are you at? What's going on? I've taken this step of faith. I've walked out, and what'd you do? Leave me out here in the wilderness to die? That sounds like a familiar story, doesn't it? Remember the Israelites? Oh, you let us out of bondage. We're out here. We're hungry. We're thirsty. You lead us out here to die. We'd be better off in Egypt. What? Yeah. That's what we do, isn't it? That's what I do. But God wants us to step out. So, this substance of things hoped for. In other words, it's not a substance of something before you, and then you take the step. Because if the the substance of something is set before you, it doesn't take any faith to do that. Even the unbelieving will take that step. But how many times do we as believers want to see the substance before we take the step? See the substance, then I'll take the step. I want to see what I'm hoping for, God, before I take that step, before I trust you. That's not how God works. That's not it. Where we trust, where we can't see, when we can't touch, when we don't know. But we know what God says and who he is. So we step out in that faith. So it's the confidence of what we hope for. It's the evidence. It's the assurance of what we do not see. And we know what evidence is. Because even if you've never been in a courtroom, you watch TV and you've seen plenty of courtroom shows, haven't you? And, w- and what's necessary to bring a conviction or to acquit somebody of innocence? What's necessary? Evidence. What kind of evidence? Just so-and-so, brother so-and-so's word or so-and-so's word? Eh, not all the time. What's necessary? Concrete evidence. Like DNA, like, like physical evidence. That will quickly, it's done. It's the assurance remember, beyond a reasonable doubt, before a conviction can be made, even in the courtroom. So God wants us to live in life with evidence, with assurance. That's what faith is, beyond a reasonable doubt. Does that describe your walk with Jesus? Does that describe your walk right now? What are you facing right now? Uncertainties in life. I'm facing a bunch. How about you? So is that my walk? Is that your walk? Are we facing life? Are we facing these circumstances without a reasonable doubt? Or is there a doubt in our head? Boy, that's hard. But do we trust God or do we not? So verse 6 that we read. So what does it require? This faith. It says, but without faith, this faith that we just defined and saw and saw what it is biblically. Without that, it's impossible to please God. And this is huge because he doesn't just say that it's difficult to please God. What does he say? Impossible. It cannot be obtained. Guys, can I be honest? (laughs) When God calls and shows and moves in us to do something, I can almost promise you, circumstances are going to set themselves against us. That when we step out, things are not going to be easy. They will not be. And that is when you and I are most likely to lose our faith. It's when we take and say, Lord, I stepped. You told me to step, and I did. And now I feel like things are going sideways, God. What are you doing? And it's easy for you and I to doubt right there. And we're going to see that example again in Scripture here in a little bit. But that's where you and I have to stay anchored in our faith. Because without it, it's impossible to please Him. Without it, it's impossible to see God do what He wants to do in our life. And in through our church. To see the supernatural. Because here's what's beautiful about stepping on is something happening that you can't explain. Do you know who gets the glory for that? Only Him. Because if you or I only do with things that we feel like we're capable of doing and that we can make sense and that we can leverage finances and leverage relationships and we can do this and that and the other, and then when things are accomplished, who gets the glory then? Us. But when I step out and when you step out and you say, Lord, what I have is not enough, and and when we step out and and, and things that we know God's leading us to and and we see him do the supernatural, when when we see him step out and correct and write the things that we have doubt about, then we know that God is present. And we know that he's doing only what he can do and only what he can get the glory for. That's why things are going to be tough and not easy. So oftentimes when life's just easy, we tend to forget God, don't we? It's only when, when we need him so, so many times, Lord, forgive us. But it's, that's when we call him in the most. It's when we feel like we don't have things in control. How about you? When I feel like things are coming unraveled, but then God shows up if I'll trust. Him. It may not always be in the timing that you want. As a matter of fact, it won't be. It won't be in the way, necessarily, all the time that you want it to be, but it'll be in His way, so that He can strengthen us through the process and so that He can shine the light of Christ to others if we will handle the difficulty in a manner in which He wants us to. So these two elements here that we see, that faith is required to please God. It's impossible without it. But then it says, he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I want you to think about that, that we must believe that he is, not just that he exists, but he is who he said he is. I mean, most, most people, even non-believers in the, of Christ, ones that have a, a false sense of, of hope, they just believe that there's a God. That's not what it's talking about here. Do you believe he is who he said he is? That he's the great I am, that he's sovereign, that he's in control, that he knows all the days of our life before we ever lived them out? I want you to think about that. How, that just blows my mind, that he knows all our days before we even walk in them. He has the hairs on our head numbered. Some of us make that easier on him than others. But he knows everything we're going through, every intricate detail of our life. So why wouldn't we trust him? He's faithful. But then, more than that, do you believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Do you believe? And and, and, please get off the table reward being finances and circumstances. Can you take that off the table? Because if we believe God rewards only with finances and circumstances, then we're going to doubt again. Because when the finances go south and the circumstances aren't like you want, you're going to question, God, where are you? That's not the reward that he wants to bring. Because if it was, think about this, if that's how God rewarded, there would be a whole lot of people who don't know Jesus and who live in sin that are, God's rewarding. There's a bunch of people lost that are billionaires and that are living the life and their circumstances look great from the outside. So if that was blessing, and then you and I walking by faith, have bad circumstances and, and, and trying to take a step of faith just to tithe every month, do you see my point? Take finances and circumstances off the table of reward. That's not God's reward. What's God's reward? <laughs> to see Him use your life. To see Him move and walk and do things that you and I can't take credit for. <laughs> to see God show up and, and through us and through our testimony and through the ministry that He's called us to to see other people come to Christ. That's reward. Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of bad circumstances, even in the midst of struggling in finances, yes, God's blessing and rewards is there. Man, so what does that look like to give all that up, to follow him? Verse 24 through 26 in chapter 11 gives this picture of Moses, and we don't have time to go through all the chapter and see this picture. hall of faith, if you will, the faith chapter of chapter 11 and everybody that is talking about. And I hope you go back and read that later and then dig deeper and, and read their stories out of the Old Testament. But I want to point this out in verse 24 through 26. It talks about Moses. And we know Moses was placed in a basket. It tells about that in verse 23, how his parents hit him. And then he comes and, and was basically raised in the Egyptians. And starting in verse 24 it says this, by faith. We just talked about what that is. By faith, When he became of age, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You see what we just talked about right there? He looked to the reward. What? Was the reward the treasures of Egypt, the finances? No. Was the reward the circumstances, the lack of persecution? No. What was his reward? Looking forward to what God's called him to do and what was to come. That was it. By faith, Moses denied the world and identified himself with the Lord. You want to take a step of faith? You want to overcome some doubt? Identify with God, identify with Jesus, identify with His Word in the face of opposition. That's what Moses had done. And we know what Moses got to see. What, what did Moses experience? Think about this. Did Moses see the supernatural happen? You better believe it. Had Moses not done this, had he stayed in Egypt, sided with Pharaoh, would, would Moses have seen God do the supernatural? No. He sided with God and watched God do the unimaginable. He's the one who, who's, I mean, can you imagine throwing down your staff for the first time? And be like, man, I hope this works. Throw it down. I and mean, it turns into a snake. I'm like, what would that work? <laughs> and then you see the, you know, the, the Satan's crowd kind of match the signs and wonders. But then to stand at the edge of a Red Sea and, and hold out that same staff and to see the waters part, to do the unimaginable, see, God can do what only he can get the glory for. And that's what he saw because he decided to stand with God and separate himself from the world. Verse 39 through 40, in that same chapter of chapter 11, that chapter ends with this, and it says, and all these, talking about all these heroes of the faith, all these people that we know about that stepped out, watched God do the supernatural, says all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, think about that, did not receive the promise, we're going to explain that, Verse 40, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. That seems really confusing when you read it, but it's really not. Let's explain this. First of all, all these, all these heroes of the faith having obtained a good testimony through what? Through faith. So how are you and I ever going to have a testimony of God's faithfulness? Through what? Faith. Stepping out. Right? Right? that's how we gain a testimony. We'll never have that if we don't step out. But then it says, they had this good testimony by stepping out, though they did not receive the promise. What was that promise? What's it pointing to? Jesus. See, all the Old Testament saints were were looking forward to the Messiah. That's what the Old Testament is doing, is looking back all right? And then the, the New Testament's, I'm sorry, the Old Testament's looking forward to the Messiah coming. The, the New Testament's looking back at what the, when the Messiah came and what happened. So all these Old Testament saints that it's referring to here, they never saw Jesus. The promise of the Messiah never came, but they still walked in faith. I want you to get that. So that's the promise it's talking about. It's not that they didn't receive what God had promised them. That's not it. It's that the promise of the Messiah, what they were living for, what they were believing in, still had not come and they still stepped out in faith and did what God asked them to do. So now the flip side of that, it says here, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What did God provide that's better for us? Who's he talking to? This is New Testament, talking to New Testament saints because Jesus has already come. So now we see the fulfilling, the promise of the Messiah that the Old Testament saints did not see. We see and we know that Christ had come and he did everything that the prophets said he were going to do. And that should strengthen our faith. That should even more so allow us to overcome difficulty and circumstances that aren't going our way and to step out. Because we've received, we've seen the promise So it's even more reason to continue through difficulty, to have confidence. Even more reason to fix our eyes on what's truthful. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18 says this, Therefore we do not lose heart. When's it easy to lose heart? When things ain't going right. (laughs) When things are difficult, when things are uncertain. Therefore we do not lose heart though. Outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory, that's what's on the other side, that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There you go. And in Hebrews 12, 2, what we're going to look at in a little bit is we fix our eyes on Jesus. This promise that we have, that we know that we can have a guaranteed Faith, a guaranteed hope. So we're provided something better, and that's what that's talking about. And they're not going to be made perfect apart from us. What does that mean? That we're all saved through faith in Christ. And we talked about that through Revelation when we went through the book of Revelation and, 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 and how everybody comes together in Christ and through Christ. There's only one name under heaven by which we're saved. All right? So we're all together in there. It provides unity in Jesus. So now let's read Hebrews 12, 1 through through 3 and get this closing aspect. So we know what doubt is, and we know that if we doubt, we shouldn't expect anything from God. We know what faith is, that we're looking and believing and trusting in things that aren't seen, that aren't fathomable, that are not in front of us, and we're stepping out and trusting God. So let's read verse 1 through 3 of chapter 12. It says, therefore, we also... who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. This passage starts off with therefore. What does therefore mean? Remember when you see the word therefore, you always ask yourself, what's it there for? What's it there for? Chapter 11. (laughs) It's, It's therefore chapter 11 because of everything that we've just talked about. All these heroes of the faith, this hall of faith chapter. Therefore. Because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who are those witnesses? Well, we just talked about pointing directly back to the ones who had stepped out in faith and seen God do the supernatural. So we also, since we're surrounded by these witnesses, should do something is what it's talking about. In other words, these... This this isn't cool stories for us to read and be like, oh, man, that must have been cool to see. God wants to do something through you and me is what this passage is going to point to. All right? And it's not going to be exactly what he had Moses do. It's not going to be exactly what he had David do and and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all the stories that, that we see in Samson. But it's going to be something that he's called you to do. What is that? And we're not going to see it unless we take that step of faith and trust him. So, in the mind's eye here of the author, more than likely Paul, someone argue that through this, of the book of Hebrews, he's picturing all these champions of the faith as a witness, all right? Not that they're witnessing us here on earth, okay? That's not what he's talking about. That because these people are up there like spectators cheering us on, Woo! look at that, he did good. Oh, no, he's losing. Oh, yeah. that's not it. I'm going to tell you because the Bible says there's no sorrow in heaven, So I'm going to be honest with you right now. There's no way somebody in heaven is looking down and watching what I'm doing, what you're doing on earth, because there would be sorrow sometimes. Amen? I don't know about you, but I fail sometimes. So there can't be that. That's not what he's talking about. So they're not witnesses of what we're doing. They're witnesses to us, for us. You get that? That these are, are people that we've seen how they live, how they stood out in faith. We've seen the challenges they have. So therefore, they're witness to us when we step out in the same endeavor to trust God. That's the witnesses that it's talking about. All right? It's a beautiful picture here because this word witness is the Greek word martus. It's where we get the word martyr. You ever think about to be a witness for the Lord, you must be a martyr for him? We know that many uh, of these people that we saw and read about in the Old Testament, how about all the the, um, disciples, how they had to give their lives for the faith. You want to talk about a radical change from somebody that would deny Christ like Peter and then turn around and give his life for him and be hung upside down? That's radical change. And that's what being a witness is that we need to step out, separate ourselves, and give our lives to him, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. Because if we're going to try to save our own life, we're going to lose it. But if we lose his life for our sake, we're going to find exactly what we're looking for. That's God's promise to us. But can we do that? So that word witness is where we get our word martyr. Boy, that changes things, doesn't it? It makes you not look forward to sunny skies and following seas the rest of your life to be ready to stand that when the day of evil comes to stand firm why why would there be a a, a spiritual armor necessary if everything was going to be hunky-dory when we came to Jesus we wouldn't need any armor but we're called to put it on because the days are evil and the attacks are coming but then there's a couple things we got to cast off because it says we're on a race how many of you have ever run a race before? Anybody ever run a race? Maybe some of you in here just run all the time just to run. I don't understand that. The Bible says that only the wicked run when no one chases them. But anyway, <laughs> but some of you like to run. But if you're going to go out on a long run, what do you not want to do? Carry on some big old backpacks and weights. All right? You want to do the opposite. You want to lighten yourself up so you can run the distance. And you don't want something holding on to you and and, and latching on to you. You want to get off the stuff that's tangling you up. You want to be free to run. And that's the picture God's given here. So there's a couple things we cast off what? Every weight that what? Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And that's the word entangles, if you have a different version, that holds us back. So we know there's sin that can entangle. We'll talk about that in just a second. But there's a weight that we can cast off that doesn't necessarily have to do with choices and and do's and don'ts. So let me ask you, is there something right now that's holding you back from running the race that God has put before you? That may look different for every one of us on, on what that thing is. But I can promise you, one of the main things that will weight you and I down from running the race that God has set before us is doubt. It will weigh you down. It will hold us back. We will not step out like God wants us to. So we got to cast off away. We got to get rid of that burden. And how about the sin that so easily entangles? I don't know if any of you have ever played any kind of sports and stuff, but basketball and football, I've played a lot of. So I know a little bit about that stuff. And when on the football field, especially when you're on defense, you're trying to tackle the guy with the ball. Y'all with me? Some of y'all may not like football, but y'all can get that part anyway, right? You're on defense, you're trying to stop the guy with the ball. But there's going to be some other dudes on the field trying to prevent you from getting to the guy with the ball, okay? And these guys are going to come block you. These guys are going to try to come entangle you and hold you up. And what is a good defensive person taught by a good defensive coach how to do? Get off your block, Rip, swim, bull rush, whatever you gotta do, get off your block. You don't wanna sit here and dance with this dude and, and, and then the, he, the ball carrier runs a touchdown. You lose. We gotta get off our block spiritually. There's an enemy that wants to come and to entangle you up and tempt you to do so. There's a world that's enticing. And that, that looks blingy on the outside, but on the inside, it's things that'll lead you away from Christ and tangle you up. Here's the biggest one because of the triangular attack. Yes, we have an enemy. Yes, we have the um, temptation of the world. Here's the biggest thing. You're in my own sinful depravity. You're in my own desire for pleasure, for self. That's what'll tangle you and me up. You see, it's easy for us to to put the blame on Satan. That's what Eve tried to do. It's easy for us to put the blame on the world and others. That's what Adam tried to do to Eve. When the whole reason they did what they did, the whole reason you and I do what we do, it's not Satan's fault. It's not the world's fault. It's my fault and it's your fault for saying yes to the things we need to say no to. For saying no to the things we need to say yes to. It's our fault. James tells us that. It's our own depravity. And I mean, we got this backwards kind of mentality. There's this push in the world that makes things, oh, we got to cast demons off people so they'll stop sinning. Let me tell you what, that is not what the Bible teaches. James teaches us that we're each sin and fall into sin when we're drug away by our own desires. It's not the devil made you do it mentality, okay? Yes, demonic possession is real, and there's times for that. But think about this, if we cast the demon out of somebody, and they don't have the Holy Spirit that can guide and direct them to give them the only opportunity they have not to sin, if we leave that house empty, what does the Bible say we just did? We set them up to be worse, because the Bible says that demon leaves, and it comes back and finds the house cleaned up, and nothing's there, meaning the Holy Spirit of God's not there, then it brings seven more evil than itself. It's not a devil made you do it. It's a sin. My nature, your nature makes us do it. And yes, then there's, when we fall into sin, then there's other influences we can have outside of that. But it starts with us. I like to say we do deliverance ministry every week here at Impact. You know where the deliverance ministry is? In the gospel, in the word of God. That's deliverance right there. Bible says when his name is preached and spoke that he must flee. The enemy must flee deliverance every week if people would accept christ in the gospel here we go so this witness is a martyr we must cast off a weight get off our block get off the sin that so easily entangles us heard somebody say before be killing sin or sin will be killing you that's what this is pointing to right here and we don't have the power to do that except through the power of the spirit of god in us it's Galatians, like we've talked about so many times, live by the Spirit so you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. All right? So what's this race? What is this talking about? That God has set before you, God has set before me, every single one of us, a race. So we must run it. And it's going to take commitment. It's going to take effort. Being passive never wins a race. Being lazy never wins a race. God wants us to run the race and to finish it. And He tells us right here in this passage in chapter 12 what it's going to take to finish is endurance. It takes endurance. In other words, it's going, there's going to be some opposition. It's not going to be easy. When you look at the Greek word for endurance here, hoopamone, it literally means not an idea of just sitting down patiently and accepting the things that are going on, but overcoming them and mastering them. That's endurance biblically. It's an unhurrying yet undelaying action that stays steady and refuses to be deflected no matter what life throws at you. Even Paul talked about it in Acts 20 because he used this word race so many times and this Greek word race is a and it literally means conflict or struggle. I want you to think about that. Race, a conflict or a struggle. And Paul used it so many times. And he used it in Acts 20 when he said, I consider my life worth nothing. If I could just finish the race, if I could just finish the conflict, finish the fight that I'm in. And complete the job that the Lord Jesus has given me. The job to tell other people about his grace and his mercy. About the gospel. About the truth of his word. Is that yours? Is that, is that my mindset? Because having this type of endurance, casting off these weights, getting off our blocks of entangled sin is what's going to allow us to finish the race, to run the race of faith and to break doubt. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, there it is again, looking unto him. Why? Because he's not only the author of our faith, he starts it all. We can't take any credit for any of it. There's no not works by which you were saved. It's the finished work of Jesus on the cross that we can even have salvation that by which we're justified. So, yes, he's the author of our faith, but then he's also the perfecter. He's the finisher of our faith. That's Philippians 1, 6. It says, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you trust that right now? Because I know so many times and ways that it's hard to believe that. When you take that step of faith and you see things going wrong, we need to trust the one who called us out in the first place, that he will finish what he started because he's faithful inside this passage in chapter 12 very clearly points out that it's not the cross that was the joy. What was it? Looking unto Jesus, the author, perfect of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The result of enduring the cross for what was on the other side is what was joyful. Put that in translation the endurance of the race, of the fight, of the circumstances of what you and I face, if we will continue in faith and not give way to doubt, for what's on the other side is what will bring us joy. Not joy in the circumstance necessarily, but joy through the circumstance because of what God has done and who he is. Because he finished in victory, that's what that passage ends with, because he's at the right hand of the Father. And again, we went through Revelation. What's promised to us as heirs of Christ, as children of God? We're heirs to the throne. It's so what Jesus said, you can stand in victory with me. And that's a guaranteed promise. And then it says, even so, think of all the hostility that Jesus endured from sinners. How much hostility do we endure from the world and through, through people that say they have, us back, have our back? What did Jesus go through? All the people of his own synagogue in Nazareth wanted to kill him. Religious leaders constantly tried to trap and embarrass him. They lied about him. They said he was a drunkard and a glutton. He was betrayed by one of his own disciples, and he knew it. I'm going to say that one again because I believe there's somebody in here that's being betrayed by, by somebody who said that they would have your back. And they turned, not only turned their back on you and left, but they're trying to stab you in yours. Jesus experienced that from one of his own. Talk about enduring hostility. Jesus endured it all. He was mocked and beaten by many. Many of the people on Palm Sunday who were yelling Hosanna and praising him and putting palm branches down in front of him on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem by the end of the week because he he didn't come through for them and deliver them from Roman rule when they figured out he was going to uh, be arrested, they started yelling crucify him. The same people that were praising him by the end of the week were yelling crucify him. How many times do we see that in our society today? When we feel like God doesn't come through for our own selfish needs, we curse him. Jesus endured it all. So what's the purpose of this faith, this walk, this end of this passage? So in verse three, so that we don't become weary and discouraged in our souls. God doesn't want us weary and discouraged. God doesn't want us wrapped up in doubt. God wants us stepping out and living by faith and trusting that even through the circumstances he's in control. That's it. Because we know all through scripture, as the Lord preached, some people doubted. And he said even, hey, these people praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So many times through the gospel, it says that some people doubted. We even know one of his own doubted. How about Thomas? Even at the end, he said, man, I'm not going to believe until I see. I want to I see and touch. And so Jesus came back for him. I want you to think about that. Because he was absent the first time Jesus came, and all the disciples were locked in a room, living in fear, living in doubt, living in discouragement. God doesn't want us there. And Jesus came back for them. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is coming back for you. Because he doesn't want you locked up in a room, living in doubt, fear, and discouragement either. He wants you out, stepping out in faith and living for him. And he's faithful. He will show himself to you. Will you just ask him, Lord, I need to feel you. I need to know right now. And I promise you, he's faithful. Through his word, he will guide and direct you and show you. What's our command? Make ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Then we will know God's will, his pleasing, perfect will. He's faithful. He'll show you. Have you sacrificed? Have you surrendered your life to him? He'll show you. So Thomas experiences that and then believes And what Jesus tell him. Say, you believe because you've seen. Say, but blessed are those who have not seen but still believe. Who's he talking to? You and me. Those of us who are living completely by faith and not by sight. That God wants us to step out in faith. He's asking and calling us to. It's Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Everybody's familiar with verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. But did you know verse 7 and 8 that follows? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Oh, I love that. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust God. Why? Don't lean on your own wisdom. Don't try to make sense out of everything yourself and only take steps when it all makes perfect sense in your finances and in what's going on. Seek God, know what he's going to do, and step out in faith if he's guiding you through his word. Here's the bottom line. It's trust. We got to trust God to live in faith. Can he be trusted? He's got a perfect track record. He's undefeated. He's never let anybody down. Why would he let you down? Why would he let me down? He just asked for us to trust him. Every relationship on earth that we have is governed by trust. Think about it. You put your money in the bank by trust. Trusting that what you go in, that it's still there, and you can pull some out if you want to. You put your paycheck in there every week. What if it was gone? Would you trust him anymore? No. You put it in there every week by trust. How about going in on an airplane? You get on an airplane by trust. You trust that a a certified mechanic has overhauled that plane and that every aspect of that plane with all those gazillion buttons on the dash are functioning right to keep you in the air and to land you safely. You trust that the pilot's been trained and knows how to fly that bird. And he just didn't sleep at a Holiday Inn last night and thinks he can do it. You go to the doctor by trust. Trusting that he's been trained and he knows, especially if you go into surgery, that, that, that he's not a mechanic and, and knows how to do something else, that he knows how to work on your body. So when he cuts you open, that he knows the difference between a hysterect- hysterectomy and an appendectomy because there's a difference. And you trust him to know that and to do the right things. You trust the pharmacist every time you go and you take that scribbled note the doctor um, wrote something on. that looks like a chicken scratched on it. And you put it in front of the pharmacist's face and he sends you home with some, with some chemicals and says, take this three times a day. That's trust. What would it look like if we trusted God like that? That's what God's calling us to do. We put trust in people and things every day, but we never put trust in the God who loves us and knows us. God's only ever asked one thing from man from the beginning, and that's the man would trust him. Satan wants to deceive just like he did Adam and Eve and make us not trust God in his word, and we must overcome that with faith and trust in him. God wants you to trust him. He doesn't ask that we explain him because we don't have the intellect to do that. God doesn't ask that we understand him because we don't have the capability to do that. God doesn't ask that we vindicate him because God will defend himself through his word. He is and he always has been. He doesn't need us to defend him. But you know what he does ask us to do? Trust him. He asks you and me to trust him, to step out and to watch him do the supernatural in our life. But will we do it? Will we trust him? So the question here is today to overcome doubt through faith is will you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord or is your your soul and your faith rotting with a cancer of doubt and disbelief? And you're cynical and you're walking through life uncertain and you don't know which way is up. God wants to call you out. In Jeremiah 17 verse 7 through 8, it says, Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He's like a tree, get this, planted by the water, who sends out its roots into the stream. So that when it doesn't rain, it's still got some green leaves, baby. So that when the drought comes, it's still producing fruit. That's circumstances is talking about again. If you and I can anchor ourselves in faith and trust in the Lord and really anchor ourselves, we're like a tree planted by a stream and it doesn't matter what the circumstances are if it doesn't rain. It doesn't matter if there's months of drought to come and God seems silent. We will still produce fruit and have green leaves because we trust in the Lord. Did somebody get a word besides me? That's what God's calling us to do. Therefore, and only then can we have hope for the future because we trust in the God we serve, that he's sovereign, he's in control, and he's the one we can put our faith and hope in. How about you right now, where you're at? What's God calling you to step out and do? I don't know about you, but I read this word, and I read about these people of faith that God had used and done great things. And my prayer so often has been, God, can I be like that? Could you use me like that? Not because I wanna see a miracle or a sign or a wonder, Uh uh-uh, Jesus said only a wicked generation wants to see that stuff. I don't need the miracles, the signs and the wonders. I long for my life to be used by the one who created me and has the plan for me, how about you? And he's only going to do it when we step out in faith. And we read these stories about the men that had to do that. And what did they do? They forsook all else and gave their life to God and trusted him. And that's what we're going to have to do. So will you and I forsake all? Will we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus, not try to save our own life, but lose it for his sake? Will we count, the, will we count everything as a loss except for following Jesus? And will we pay that, that price to follow him? Because oftentimes, like I said a second ago, when we get a glimpse of what God really wants us to do, you're gonna find out what you have is not enough. And that's where God wants you to step out and trust. And I end with this story. We all know the story of Peter in the boat with the disciples, some of the disciples, and Jesus was out on the water. And it was storming, they were scared. except for one one guy, and he says, Jesus, is that you? That's you, isn't it? He says, yes, come on. What'd he do? Took the first step, and he saw God do what? Supernatural. He was walking on water. But then what happened? Took his eyes off. Who? Jesus. Because of what? Circumstances around him. And then what happened? Started to sink. What was Jesus the faithful to do? Just leave him there and say, ah, man, you're weak. You you couldn't do it. I know you couldn't do it anyway. You're washed up. I can't use you. Helps him up. Gets him back up on top. And then what does he say to him? Oh, you have little faith. Think about this for just a minute. (laughs) There was other people in the boat. Peter was the only one that shouted out in faith to Jesus. Is that you? Peter was the only one who stepped out of the boat. Peter was the only one that walked on water for a while because he kept his eyes on Jesus for a period. Was he the one of little faith or was the ones in the boat? Probably actually the ones in the boat. But why would Jesus say this to Peter? Because this, and this is what he wants to say to you and me. When we take the first step, oftentimes we're going to be in a storm. And the circumstances aren't going to be great, and they're not going to look favorable. And it's going to be easy for you and me to start to doubt and not trust the Savior who's right there. And we'll start to sink when we take our eyes off Jesus. So God is encouraging Jesus, encouraging us, encouraging Peter to, hey, once you take that first step out, it's not going to be easy. I want you to trust me no matter what the circumstances are. Keep your eyes on me and watch me do the supernatural and break down the wall of doubt that wants to hold you back. That answers the question of which way should we go? Let's close bow our heads, close our eyes right now. What is God speaking to you right now that he wants you to do and step out in faith right now? If you've never done so, I can tell you what the first step is. That's step out and trust Jesus with your life. Have you surrendered? Have you committed? Have you entrusted your life to Jesus yet today? In other words, what I'm asking is, are you saved? I'm not asking, like, have you been to church before or have you prayed a prayer before? I'm asking, have you really, truly given and surrendered your life to Jesus Where you're walking with him. If you haven't done that, I want you to do that today. That's your first step out of the boat to come to Jesus. And he's faithful. And the beautiful part is Romans 5.8. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That we don't have to get our life right first to come to Jesus. We just come to him, surrender to him, and then he'll do the work in your life that needs to be done. Will you trust him for that? Step out of the boat to him today. If you haven't done that already. Or maybe you say, Brad, I've walked in and out of church doors a lot in my life, but and I've even walked with him before. I, I, I know I committed my life to him as a Christian and God was doing amazing work in my life and I was on fire for the Lord, but lately I've drifted. I've walked away. And like the prodigal son, I want to come running back to Jesus right now today. If that's you, I want you to take that next step. And what you'll find is Jesus is right there waiting on you. Will you do that today and rededicate your life to him? If you want to entrust and commit your life to Jesus for the first time or rededicate your life boldly and unashamed right now, just do business with God from your heart to God's heart. Just say, Dear Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. God I've messed up and I'm in need of you, my Savior. Lord, I've been running for a long time now and I'm done. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of trying to do life on my own. I'm coming. I'm surrendering all at the foot of the cross. Thank you for sending your only son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to die on that cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed that I could have life. And Lord, that he raised from the grave three days later, like he said he would do, like prophets told he would do all through the New Testament, proving that he is God and that he's not defeated. He's not dead. In fact, he's alive and he's standing in victory over all hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, right now I wanna claim and live in that same victory right now all the days of my life. Lord, I need it and my family needs it. And Lord, my commitment to you is from this day forward with every step I take and every breath I make will only be for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Every head bowed right now, every eye still closed. If you did that right there, you committed your life to Christ or you rededicated your life to the Lord, boldly and unashamed decision between you and the Lord, would you just raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you. Know the decision you made and ultimately this is a stand for you and God. You can Put your hand down. We're going to end our service like we do every week and I'm going to ask you to put action with your feet to what God's done in your heart through his word. Whatever that is. Maybe you made a decision for the Lord right here. Maybe you raised your hand, maybe you didn't. Maybe you're in here and you said, Brad, I'm going, through a, I'm going through a storm. I'm going through some difficulty. I've got a lot of doubt in my life. Maybe over some, uh, a relationship gone bad. Maybe over finances of work. Maybe over um, whatever it is, health concerns. And you want to pray with somebody. There's pastors up here. We can pray with you. Or you just want to come and you don't need us. Or you just want to do business with Jesus. I want to ask you to, to come. Whatever that is. Maybe you want to join the church. Maybe you want to talk about getting plugged in and serving. Whatever it is, let's stand to our feet. Let's sing with all our heart, with all our voice, and let's come right now as the Lord leads. Just whatever it is, just say yes to Jesus and just come. Jesus. Can we give him a big round of applause in this place for his word and what he continues to do each and every week and I hope we can take this and really go make an impact for Christ this week first in our own life as we can answer Jesus with a yes and step out in trust and faith and not live in doubt and then strengthen others around us as they see us step out and take that walk of faith even though circumstances don't look good around us and we say yes to Jesus that it strengthens them to step out and say yes too. Lord, help us to be that and do that. So take this word. Let's go make an impact. Bring some people to church next week. We did find out that the air condition is broken here. Duh. As if we didn't know that for three weeks. So the good news is they know what's wrong. There's a belt they need to put on. The question is when they're going to do it. So um, I don't know whether the part's on back order or whatever, I just went 13 miles offshore yesterday, day four yesterday, and uh, there is 13, no lie, 13 tankers, 13 miles offshore, anchored, stacked with stuff to bring into the United States that they can't come in. So maybe the belt's on one of them. I don't know. Um, But anyway, so it will get fixed. They know what's wrong. So hopefully uh, we put fans in. It's better this week than it was before. So anyway, grab somebody, bring them to church next Sunday. Go make an impact for Jesus. See you next week.